Welcome to the Vincentian Heritage Podcast, a selection of readings on Vincentian history, spirituality, and praxis to help sustain the members of the Vincentian family in our shared efforts to live out the mission, vision, and values of St. Vincent de Paul. This week's reading is the introduction to Praying with Louise de Marriac. It is read by Alice Farrell. Virtually unknown for 350 years, Louise de Marriac is finally emerging from the shadows of her mentor and friend, Vincent de Paul, and becoming justly recognized by the many thousands of women whose lives she has influenced. This recognition has led to an intense interest in her extraordinary life and spirituality among those whose hearts burn with charity for poor, alienated, or abandoned people. Who was Louise? What animated her dynamic, revolutionary spirit? What forces urged her to respond with fresh insight and undaunted courage to the harsh demands of poor people? And finally, what wars did she wage within herself as she journeyed to God? Louise de Marriac was a wife, mother, widow, teacher, nurse, social worker, and founder. She was an organizer, a radical thinker who lived her life intensely and enthusiastically, and a woman whose quest in life was to do the will of God with a deep faith in divine providence. She knew suffering, but she also knew love. Through this suffering and love, she became a mystic in action. Why is it then that we know so little of this saint, who was canonized by Pius XI in 1934 and declared patroness of social workers by John XXIII in 1960? Joseph Durvin, C.M., who wrote the first fully documented biography of Louise, states that throughout the centuries it was assumed that the dynamic Vincent de Paul had taken a weak woman and made her an automaton in carrying out obediently, humbly, and without a thought of her own, his charitable plans. Such an assumption does little honor to Vincent, who grasped the potentialities of this woman from their first meeting, or to God, who had prepared her for that meeting by an exquisite refinement in the furnace of suffering. Louise's Story Louise was born on August 12, 1591, when her father, Louis de Marriac, was a 35-year-old widower. The true identity of her mother remains unknown because baptismal records from the years 1590 to 1595 disappeared. Historians have, have suggested that her father married Marguerite Le Camus in 1590, but no accounts can be found of this woman or this marriage. Most likely, Louise was born out of wedlock and, by law, was illegitimate. Her mother was probably a servant in the de Marriac household and therefore, by social custom, not allowed to marry. As an infant, Louise was placed in a Dominican convent school at Poissy. This magnificent monastery, some six miles from Paris, was situated on the Seine River. Her father genuinely loved Louise and would visit her. He took great interest in her studies. During her 12 years there, Louise received a solid education in philosophy, theology, Latin, Greek, and literature. She was immersed in Dominican and mystical spirituality. Throughout her life, this formation in spirituality would profoundly influence her aspiration toward a direct union with God. 
Precisely why Louise was removed from this convent school is unknown, but she left Poissy at about 12 years of age, around the time of her father's death. With her father's passing, Louise lost her home and the one person who truly loved her. She was placed in a boarding school near Paris. Life in the new school was completely different from the one she had led at Poissy. Here she received a practical education that included cooking, housekeeping, and sewing, all of the essentials appropriate to her state in life. Unbeknownst to her guardians and teachers, these studies also prepared her for her future as an educator and founder of the Company of the Daughters of Charity. At this time in history, France was experiencing a religious renewal. This renewal awakened in Louise a desire to consecrate herself to God. At the age of 20, she asked permission to enter the community of the Daughters of the Passion, but the superior of the Capuchins, whose permission she needed, felt that Louise's precarious health would not allow her to endure the austerity of the rule. His advice to her concluded with the prophetic words, God has other designs on you. Marriage During this era, families arranged marriages for their children. Michel de Marillac, Louise's uncle and guardian following her father's death, arranged for her to marry Antoine Legras, a secretary to the queen, Marie de Medici. The marriage took place on February 5, 1613, when Louise was 22 and Antoine 32. Although the marriage was arranged, true love grew between them. With Antoine, Louise found the joy and warmth of a family home, which was brightened by the birth of a son whom they named Michel Antoine. Louise loved Michel, through whom, in his infancy, she came to know the profound joys of motherhood. But Michel, whose birth was premature, had difficulty developing, and he learned slowly. This seems to account for his subsequent drifting and often wayward behavior that would cause his mother many heartaches. Seven years after their marriage, Antoine's health began to deteriorate, probably due to tuberculosis. He became despondent and angry. Louise loved and cared for her husband, but his mood changes and frequent bouts of impatience increasingly disturbed her. She took his anger personally and blamed herself for all of his distress. At a period when divine justice was a major spiritual theme, Louise turned to anxious introspection. Was all of this a punishment from God for her failure to keep her vow to enter the cloister? Was his pain all her fault? Louise grew fearful and obsessed with her dejection and misery. Plunged into a torment of self-examination, she wrote in 1623, On the following Feast of the Ascension, I was very disturbed because of the doubt I had as to whether I should leave my husband, as I greatly wanted to do, in order to make good my first vow and to have greater liberty to serve God and my neighbor. However, during Mass on the Feast of the Pentecost in the Church of St. Nicholas de Champs, Louise received a lumière, her light of Pentecost. She described the experience. My mind was instantly freed of all doubt. I was advised that I should remain with my husband and that a time would come when I would be in a position to make vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and that I would be in a small community where others would do the same. I then understood that I would be in a place where I could help my neighbor, 
but I did not understand how this would be possible, since there was to be much coming and going. I was also assured that I should remain at peace concerning my director, that God would give me one whom he seemed to show me. It was repugnant to me to accept him. Nevertheless, I acquiesced. It seemed to me that I did not yet have to make this change. My third doubt was removed by the inner assurance I felt that it was God who was teaching me these things, and that, believing there is a God, I should not doubt the rest. At home, her husband's illness continued, but Louise's fears about divine punishment had abated. For over two years, Louise remained constantly at Antoine's side until his last agony and death. With a heavy heart, Louise buried her husband on December 21, 1625. Grief, loneliness, and feelings of abandonment nearly overwhelmed Louise. In addition, she worried about her 12-year-old son and his future. Michel was a difficult child, but Louise realized that for almost four years he had lived with a sick father and a depressed mother. She felt responsible for much of his instability, and so surrounded him with excessive and overprotective love. Louise wrote to her spiritual director, Bishop Camus, and explained the sadness in which she found herself and the trouble that invaded her soul. He responded, Mademoiselle, my dear sister, I do not know why your spirit is troubled and thinks itself to be in darkness and abandoned. For what reason? You are no longer divided. Now you belong wholly to the heavenly spouse, having nothing more to do with earthly things. For a long time now you have desired only him, and now that he has broken your bonds, and that you must offer a sacrifice of praise in the host, you are astonished? Daughter of so little faith, why do you doubt? This harsh letter hardly proved consoling, but in many ways it foreshadowed the next changes in Louise's life. Vincent to Paul Because Bishop Camus lived far from Paris, he appointed a new spiritual director for Louise, Vincent de Paul. In the beginning, Vincent and Louise had scarce appreciation for each other. Vincent's simplicity was far removed from the refinement of Bishop Camus. Louise felt little or no affinity for him. For his part, Vincent only reluctantly accepted the spiritual direction of this young widow. He had just established a religious community of men, the Congregation of the Mission, for the evangelization of poor people. Also, his work with the confraternities and ladies of charity and missions in the countryside placed great demands on him. But seeking to be obedient to what seemed the will of God, both Louise and Vincent accepted each other. Later, both acknowledged that the providence of God had sent Vincent to Louise to be her guide and friend. Vincent, who was ten years older than Louise, had made the journey of faith, been tried by the fires of many trials, and his heart had been burned clean. Vincent listened to her suffering, and he understood. Their friendship would revolutionize the religious life of the Catholic Church and its ministry to poor people. As Vincent grew to know Louise, he discovered how much the rejections of her early life and the death of her husband had scarred her. He also discovered in her a great desire to know and to accomplish the will of God. Often he wrote to her, Be then quite humble, submissive, and full of confidence, and always waiting patiently the manifestations of his holy and adorable will. 
As Louise and Vincent became friends, Vincent taught her to trust God and herself. Service to the Poor In Louise's frequent contacts with Vincent, he described his work among poor people. He also told her about the confraternities of charity that he had begun in 1617 by organizing people in parishes to help alleviate the misery of needy parishioners. One principle guided the work of these charities. The poor are Jesus Christ. Vincent required that the personal service given was compassionate, gentle, respectful, devoted, and from the heart. Vincent had also organized the Ladies of Charity, a coalition of wealthy women serving poor people. Most of the Ladies of Charity came from the nobility. They contributed generously of their time and money. However, because the French social custom frowned upon their doing menial tasks, their servants performed many of the direct services to needy folk. The servants often complained about adding these duties to their workload. Some took out their frustrations on the poor. Louise gradually immersed herself in the work of the confraternities. Indeed, throughout her life, guiding, organizing, and animating the confraternities and ladies of charity would demand a majority of Louise's energies. Eventually, Vincent relied heavily on her judgment and organizational abilities, especially because the confraternities were being rapidly established throughout France. Little by little, Louise gained confidence in herself. During these years, her mystic journey continued, and love for God burned quietly in her soul. Deep down, a healing process began to mend her shattered heart and restore her faith. In 1629, Vincent received an appeal to visit the Confraternity of Charity at Montmorel. He wrote to Louise asking her if her heart was telling her to come also. Her heart did, indeed, tell her to go. So Vincent sent her on mission. Go, therefore, mademoiselle, go in the name of our Lord. I pray that his divine goodness may accompany you, be your consolation along the way, your shade against the heat of the sun, your shelter in rain and cold, your soft bed in weariness, your strength in your toil, and finally, that he may bring you back in perfect health and filled with good works. This journey began in intense collaboration between these two missionaries of charity, leading Louise to realize the creative potential previously locked within her. She grew to a new freedom, independence, and sensitivity. As Vincent and Louise worked as a team, they discovered and appreciated their complementarity. Vincent and Louise combined daring initiative with prudent planning and constancy. Vincent provided the original vision of service to the poor people, a vision shaped by the love of Jesus Christ. Louise helped transform the vision into reality. From 1629 on, Vincent guided Louise, and poor people taught her about a God who is more accepting, forgiving, and loving than the one she had known in her formative years. As God led Louise to the poor, charity burned in her heart so that she found and treasured Christ in the broken hearts, spirits, and bodies of the destitute people she served. Founder In 1630, while Vincent was preaching a mission, a woman named Marguerite Nassau came to him and asked to serve poor people. Marguerite was a peasant of about 32 years of age. 
She had taught herself how to read and had then gone about the countryside teaching young girls. At this time, peasant girls and the vast majority of peasant boys languished in illiteracy. Vincent sent Marguerite to Louise. Louise, in turn, directed Marguerite to work with the Ladies of Charity in the parish of Saint-Savier in Paris. Marguerite's example was contagious, and soon other young women came. They worked with the Ladies of Charity in other Parisian parishes. Louise knew that these young women would need a strong formation, rooted in prayer, in order to persevere in their service. She also believed that it would be by faith alone that they would find God in the poor and the poor in God. In addition, she recognized that they would need mutual support and encouragement. As she watched the young women minister in the parishes, Louise became convinced that they needed a community that would dedicate itself to the service of poor, abandoned, orphaned, sick, and illiterate people. Vincent decided to make a retreat to discern the will of God in regard to forming village women into a community. He asked Louise to pray for enlightenment. During this retreat, he became convinced that Louise's determination to form a community of service to needy people was indeed the will of God. And so, on November 29, 1633, Louise welcomed into her home several young women who expressed their love of God and desire to serve God's anawim, or little ones. The company of the Daughters of Charity was born. Without consciously doing so, the daughters dramatically changed religious life. Up to this point, religious communities of women had been confined to cloistered convents. Louise and Vincent had a radically new concept of how the Daughters of Charity should live their religious commitment. Not long before his death, Vincent spoke of the Daughters' way of life. Having for convent the houses of the sick and that in which the superioress resides, for a cell a hired room, for a chapel their parish church, for a cloister the streets of the city, for enclosure, obedience, with an obligation to go nowhere but to the houses of the sick or places that are necessary to serve them, for a grill, the fear of God, for veil, holy modesty, making use of no other form of profession to assure their vocation than the continual confidence they have in divine providence and the offering they make to God of all that they are and of their service in the person of the poor." The Daughters of Charity was a community of laywomen. In the early days of the community, they did not take vows. Later, the daughters began taking simple and private vows for one year at a time. The daughters had to be free to go wherever the poor needed them. Given all of the restrictions of the time, becoming nuns would have prevented this freedom. Years of New Foundations and Innovative Service the number of daughters who committed themselves to the service of what Louise called the sick poor in the parishes of Paris grew steadily. In 1633, five or six daughters nursed the sick. By July 1634, there were 12, and by January 1636, approximately 20 women had joined. The home of Louise soon became too small for the number of young women joining the community, so they moved into a larger house in the village of La Chapelle. As the numbers of confraternities, ladies of charity, and daughters continued to grow, so did their works. Between 1633 and Louise's death in 1660, their ministry extended to foundlings, hospitals, galley slaves, children needing schooling, 
and elderly people. Three daughters even began ministering in Poland. Louise maintained intimate involvement in these ministries by traveling to visit them through reports from travelers and through her extensive correspondence. The Foundlings In 17th century Paris, an estimated 300 to 400 infants were abandoned each year in the streets or under the porches of churches. District superintendents brought them to an institution called La Couche to be fed and reared. However, the wet nurses and staff were too few. They gave drugs to the children to keep them from crying at night. The staff sold some to beggars who broke the infant's arms and legs, crippled them so that they would extract the pity of passers-by. The staff gave other infants to women who needed the status of being a mother. In 1638, Louise organized the Ladies of Charity and the Daughters to take proper care of these orphans. At first, the women brought three abandoned babies into the community house at La Chapelle. Soon, they rented another house so that they could care for a dozen more foundlings. Gradually, care of orphans and abandoned children became a central work of the ladies and daughters. Louise embraced this work unreservedly and provided careful training for the sisters, whom she appointed as adoptive mothers. Her writings provide exact directions about how the children were to be fed, clothed, led in prayers, educated, and so on. Many times Louise remarked that she wished all of the sisters could feel as God made her feel about the work with orphans. Hospitals Gradually, the Ladies of Charity and the Sisters began ministering in hospitals. The Ladies of Charity told disturbing stories to Louise and Vincent about the treatment of the 1,200 sick, poor people at the Hotel Dieu in Paris. Patients were forced to sleep several to a bed because of shortage of space. The epidemics that frequented Paris taxed the Hotel Dieu beyond its capacity. The hospital never had adequate supplies. By 1634, the ladies and daughters of charity began ministering in and reforming the Hotel Dieu. The ladies were reminded to be cordial and patient with the poor people. Also, they should avoid wearing fancy dresses so that the poor people would not be unduly reminded of their poverty. Louise became so involved at the hospital that Vincent had to remind her to take the air to refresh herself after her continual work at the Hotel Dieu. Five years later, the ladies and daughters began administering the Hospital Saint-Jean in Angiers. So bad had the conditions become there that poor people avoided it unless they were dragged there bodily. Louise once again negotiated the agreement and directed how the hospital should be run. The ministry in these first two hospitals established a tradition of hospital ministry that continues today. The daughters also gave nursing care in situations unheard of before them. During the civil strife that plagued France, Daughters of Charity nursed the victims of war in Rethel, Sedan, Stenay, Calais, and other ravaged towns and villages. They also nursed the wounded soldiers. The Galley Slaves In 1619, the King of France appointed Vincent de Paul to be chaplain of the Galley Slaves, Galleys, long, narrow, low-slung boats, were propelled by oar and sail. Even the most desperate men refused payment to row these boats, so the French government pressed convicts into service. The men wore heavy chains, suffered from hunger, fevers, 
vermin, and lack of adequate clothing. To make them work and to control them, their overseers whipped them mercilessly. Vincent did what he could to improve their lot, but he needed help. In 1640, Vincent and Louise commiserated about the conditions of the galley slaves. Louise had visited them periodically since 1632. They decided that now was the time for the daughters to minister to these outcasts. Louise knew that the work would be dangerous and often repugnant. The men were bitter, angry, diseased, and crude. So Louise drew up careful guidelines for the sisters to follow in ministering to the galley slaves. The rules focused not so much on the safety of the sisters, but on the manner in which the sisters should treat the prisoners. For example, Louise told the sisters, The sisters must never reproach them, nor speak rudely to them. Moreover, the galley slaves should be treated with great compassion, as much for their spiritual state as for their most pitiful corporal state. She realized that the men would often resent even the good done to them. So Louise reminded the sisters that in spite of their vulgarities, filth, and crimes, the galley slaves were part of the body of Christ who had become a slave. Louise instructed the sisters to cook the convicts' food in their home and include meat and other nourishing ingredients. The sisters washed and mended the clothes of the galley slaves and even replaced tattered rags that the slaves often arrived in. When the convicts left for work, the sisters aired and cleaned the cells. Louise performed these services herself when the occasion arose. One sister remarked that sometimes poor discharged prisoners who were wearing rotted shirts on their back and whose legs were eaten away would come to the sisters' house, and Louise would wash their feet, treat their sores, and give them some of her son's clothing. Practical woman that she was, Louise also admonished the sisters never to make matters worse by showing favoritism to any prisoner, by listening to pleas for help in escaping, or by ignoring any prison rules. She hoped that if the sisters acted prudently and patiently, the guards would learn to treat the convicts less harshly. In many instances, the sisters prevented worse brutality. Petite école. In 1641, Louise inaugurated free schools for the poor little girls of Paris. These petites écoles, or little schools, tried to educate children wherever they could be found. The sisters also admitted wealthier children if they had no access to education. These children could come only on the condition that the poor girls be given preference to the rich and that the latter not look down on the poor. Louise sent the daughters into homes and even farm fields to teach the children who were needed to help at home or work on the farm. If these children could come to school, but not on time, Louise instructed the sisters working in rural villages, receive at any time any girl of any age who would like to come to learn. They must have the discretion to have those girls who are timid and bashful enter a special area welcoming them warmly even when they come at mealtime or very late. While Louise encouraged the school sisters to maintain regular hours for teaching, she added that exceptions had to be made in the case of poor little girls who go begging for their bread or those who are hired to earn their living, which girls must always be preferred to others and must be welcomed whenever they present themselves and be attended to according to their needs. 
While Louise was sending sisters out to teach, she was also teaching the sisters, many of whom were illiterate. Louise taught them reading, basic knowledge of religion, simple arithmetic, and writing. Above all, Louise gave the sisters instruction on the duties of a good Christian woman. The Elderly Poor in 1652, Louise organized the Hospice of the Holy Name of Jesus. This was a home for poor elderly people. Each person worked according to his or her strength and ability. The work mitigated the residents' loneliness, provided for their maintenance, and gave them a sense of dignity. Men wove and made shoes. Women made gloves and lingerie. Some skilled artisans volunteered their time to instruct the hospice residents in their craft. In some cases, the instructors received a salary. Plague Victims in Poland At the request of Marie-Louise, Queen of Poland, sisters Marguerite Moreau, Madeleine Drujon, and Francois Donnell were sent to Poland to nurse victims of the plague that was ravishing the population. Vincent de Paul related the news of this band of missionaries to the sisters in Paris. After the three sisters arrived in Poland, the queen gave them time to learn the language. Then the queen told them, There are three of you. I intend to keep one with me, and it is you, Sister Marguerite. The others will go to Krakow to serve the poor. Shocked, Sister Marguerite blurted out, Ah, madame, what are you saying? There are only three of us to serve the poor, and you have in your kingdom plenty of other people more capable than we are to serve your majesty. Taken aback, the queen replied, What? Sister, do you not wish to serve me? Marguerite answered, Pardon me, madame, but it is God who has called us to serve the poor. The queen backed off, and the three began serving Poland's poor. These were the first daughters sent on mission outside of France. Many more would follow. Michel Legras. Even while Louise was assuming more direction of the ladies and daughters of charity, she still tried to fulfill her duties as a mother to her son Michel. When he reached 14, Louise sent him to a junior seminary with the hopes that he would become a priest. Despite his limited abilities, Michel performed adequately for a time. During his 20s, Michel vacillated between pursuing the priesthood and leaving. Although his misadventures during this period are only vaguely referred to in Louise's writings, he seems to have caused Louise no end of headaches. Ultimately, he abandoned the seminary. Then in December 1644, he disappeared entirely, leaving Louise anxious and upset. Some months later, Michel turned up. He had run off with a wine cellar's daughter. Michel was brought to Saint-Lazare, the mother house of the Congregation of the Mission, to be supervised by Vincent. The girl was sent to a monastery for wayward women. For some years following, Michel continued to drift. Louise and Vincent used their influence to find a position, but Michel took off again, this time with a male companion. After a while, Michel returned. A friend of Louise, Madame de Romilly, introduced Michel to Mademoiselle Portier, hoping that the two would marry. Monsieur Portier, the young woman's father, rejected the arrangement, wanting a good match for his daughter. Finally, Michel met Gabrielle Leclerc, daughter of Lord de Chenevière. The two families completed negotiations rapidly. On January 18, 1650, Michel and Gabrielle married. 
At the beginning of the following year, Louise Renee was born. Michelle finally settled down. Louise Renee provided intense joy to Louise. Her parents brought Louise Renee to visit Louise so often that the sisters started calling her the little sister. Take good care of the poor. Years of chronic illnesses and hard work finally brought Louise to the end of her time on earth. She died on March 15, 1660. To those gathered around her deathbed, Louise bequeathed to the sisters her great mission to serve the poor. My dear sisters, I continue to ask God for his blessings for you and pray that he will grant you the grace to persevere in your vocation in order to serve him in the manner he asks of you. Take good care of the poor. Above all, live together in great union and cordiality, loving one another in imitation of the union and life of our Lord. Pray earnestly to the Blessed Virgin that she may be your only mother. This spiritual testament was recorded by the sisters who attended St. Louise during her final illness. This simple bequest sums up the life of Louise de Marillac. Ministry. Take good care of the poor. Community. Above all, live together in great union and cordiality. Prayer. I continue to ask God for his blessings. Pray earnestly to the Blessed Virgin that she may be your only mother. Love of Christ urged her to go to the poor, the sick, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the imprisoned, the uneducated, and the underprivileged. The poor did not lead Louise to God. Jesus led her to the poor. Her motto for the daughters was, The charity of Christ presses us. This is what Louise realized in her life, and this is her continuing legacy of charity to the ages, to the poor, and to us. Today, thousands of confraternity members, ladies of charity, and daughters of charity all over the world continue the ministry handed down to them from Louise and Vincent. They serve in hospitals, clinics, home health care, schools, social service agencies, homeless shelters, immigration services, and on battlefields. They serve wherever poor people need help. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Incension Heritage Podcast. If you have any questions, please send them to mission.depaul at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the other Vincentian family resources on our website, mission.depaul.edu.